Hey everybody, welcome back to the Clean Slate Farm Podcast. Thanks for downloading this episode. Today we're going to be talking with Trisha Park. And Trisha and her husband and son own a small farm here in central New York called Creekside Meadows. They sell beef, pork, and they raise beef and pork, and vegetables. They have a CSA and farm market program. When I first started talking with Trisha about doing the podcast, I thought, boy, this is going to be pretty interesting because she's a pretty crazy lady. But as we get into the interview, you'll see Trisha's a pretty knowledgeable person and has a lot of knowledge about farming. And, well, we'll listen to the interview and you'll hear what she has to say. Stick around for the end because she's got some interesting insight into women in farming as well. So here we go. Let's start talking with Trish. Hello, Trisha. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? Good. For everybody, this is Trisha Park, and we're going to be talking with her about her uh, farm and that she and her husband and son run, and that is called Creekside Meadow. So, Trisha, let's talk a little bit about what your farm is, and tell me a little bit more about it. So, Creekside Meadows Farm is a family-owned farm. It's my husband, Matt, myself, and our son, Cameron, who's 22 now. And we are currently 150 acres of grass-based sustainable farming, and we raise 100% grass-fed beef, pastured and woodland-raised pork, um, sustainably raised vegetables. We do maple syrup. Uh, We also do woodworking, and I have a line of farmstead soaps that I make. Cool. And we we sell it because... You there? A bad, bad border collie. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah, I'm waiting for ours to start collie. in. Ours are going to start <laughs> in any minute now. Uh, so you said you you mentioned something interesting: woodland raised pork. And yeah, I want to talk a little bit about that later when we get into your cows and stuff. Yeah, what the difference we can. is. Okay. Sure. So um, you sell at farmers markets and through a CSA program, correct? Yeah. Yeah. We do. Tell me a little bit about CSA programs so people who might not be familiar with CSA is, can you explain that a little bit? It's community-supported agriculture, and there's lots of different variations. And ours is more of a type where it's free choice, and it's some would call it a buy-down program where people would deposit ours start at $500. You deposit $500 on your account, we give you a debit card, <clears throat> sorry, and the debit card is loaded with $500, and then um, customers get an extra 10 to 15% put on that card because they've made the investment in the farm. Mm-hmm. And they use that debit card with us. It's only through our account, and they make all their purchases, and it's good for an entire year. If their balance runs low, they can just re-up it. Um, and they can buy anything food-related that the farm produces. So any of our meats, any of our vegetables, the maple syrup, um, plants, anything. And so if it works really well if um, they already have their own garden mm-hmm. and they just want to buy some extra things. So they want to just buy meat from us or however they want to do it. So it's just extremely flexible. It gives us that infusion of an investment to help us raise their food for the time that we have it. So yeah. um, it's really helpful. It's been really popular. Uh, it's just, it's a lot different than what they're used to. Mm-hmm. So we have customers who actually belong to a vegetable CSA 
where they're getting their vegetables during the summer and then they join us because they want the meats or they want some vegetables that their CSA program doesn't offer. Mm-hmm. So CSA, you, you're talking debit cards now. I, I wasn't, I wasn't aware that CSAs did debit cards and stuff like that. That's you're getting pretty high tech. There. It's a way to, yeah, it's a way to track their purchases instead of using pencil and paper. Mm-hmm. It's like basically like it's a gift card or yeah. a debit card, mm-hmm. however you want to look at it. And it's through the square square up credit card reader Okay. and it allows us to just, they give us their card, we swipe it, it accounts for what their purchases are. And then they, they get an email or a text with what they just bought and what their current balance is. Mm-hmm. So it makes it just super easy for us to track things instead right. of writing it down. Yeah. So just like at the market, then just like somebody swipes a credit card, somebody just swiping their credit <laughs> yep. card for the CSA. Neat. Yep. They just hand me their green card that has our name on it and I swipe it and there we go. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to mention something. Uh, Trisha is on the phone and she's outside and that's why you're hearing the dog bark. <laughs> and I'm going to go inside. No, no, you're fine. Don't worry about it. so bad. A border collie is like, she's on, she's giving an interview and I'm not part of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, you're fine. Don't worry do. about it. Wherever you got a signal, doesn't matter. This is like real TV or real radio. So we're not. <laughs> so let's go back to uh, farmers markets. You sell at the farmers market, and you're a couple of booths down from us, uh, where we sell our vinegars. Yep. And you, I see you. I, I never see vegetables there. You do that just off the farm. Mostly, it's a, we have a farm stand right at the farm that's mm-hmm. self service. Um, Been there, done that. On the honor system, so most of our vegetables are done right at the farm. Okay. So we grow. Like almost an acre of veggies <clears throat> and uh, we're right north of a small lake with about 500 camps on it and residences mm-hmm. and so it's very seasonal when people are here at the lake they're stopping at the stand for Great. their salad fixings and their corn and they can stop and get some meat too we keep some basic you know, bacon, sausage, burger there for quick meals. Yep. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, I never thought about that because that is a lot of summer residents down there, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yep, there is. And mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's really pretty busy. It's quiet now because it's fall and um, not many people are there right now. Yeah, Labor Day, everybody there are disappears. Some that are, yeah, there are some that, that are there year-round, mm-hmm. but uh, most of them are seasonal. Yeah. Okay, now I'm going to say also that we uh, we buy your pork or your uh, bacon, and we I don't know if I told you this at the market last week, but uh, we bought three packages of bacon on Saturday. It was gone Tuesday morning. <laughs> that stuff is just amazing. You get yeah, you got to be careful with it. Yeah, you, you do. <laughs> Make it laugh. Make it yeah. laugh. Well, let's talk a little bit about that. We've talked about uh, your products, but let's talk about your beef and your pasture raised pork, but you mentioned something earlier uh, before we started recording. Uh, woodland raised. What's your? Let's talk. Let's start with beef. Talk to me about why pasture or uh, grass fed beef is best. So we started doing grass fed beef back when we first started, when my son was two, and he's twenty two. Well, he's going to be twenty three. So it's been twenty one years, and we had land at the time. And we did a crazy thing 
we met and got married within a year and had no place to live. <laughs> and my husband owned 26 acres down the road from his parents. And it had this old barn in it, like built in 1874. Wow. And my mom came up with the idea of why don't you build an apartment in the barn and live there? So that's what we did. And <laughs> so that's how, that's how Cameron's grown up. I mean, he literally grew up in a barn. Um, we had turned most of it into a house. It was very large. It was a hundred by 33 foot, three and a half stories um, big. And he was around two <clears throat> And my husband had had all these ideas of, hey, let's get some beef cows. And they could graze all this grass down that we've got so we don't have to keep borrowing my dad's tractor to mow it down. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you're young. And um, I, I grew up in the country, but I really didn't have farm experience. And I'm like, well, you know, we're dirt poor. <laughs> we live in a barn. <laughs> yeah. Um, how are we, we going to afford to feed them? And he's like, oh, they'll just eat the grass. That's fine. Like, oh, really? Huh. So I like to do research. And so I started researching it. I went, oh, yeah, you can feed cow's grass. So this is 20 years ago, and there wasn't much internet and not much information out there. But it was pretty much the natural thing. And so we bought a couple of young animals from a neighbor and raised them up on grass. And about a year later, we took one of them that was a steer. His name was George. And we took him to the butcher. And a couple of weeks later, we brought back the beef. Um, the back of my pickup truck was just filled with boxes and boxes of beef. I can imagine. And I was like, oh, my gosh, good thing I have a big freezer. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> and I had never really, like, done it in my head of, you know, there's Big George. You know, what, how much meat's <laughs> going to come back from Big George kind of thing. And all these boxes and boxes. And I was just like steaks galore because I like steak and I was like oh my gosh this is gonna be great and the first one I cooked up it tasted really different than what we've been getting at the grocery store and so that just started uh, my research of why does this taste different I actually called the butcher up and said okay I'm being kind of ignorant here but why does this taste different from the grocery store and he's like well what did you feed them I'm like well they were just eating grass and hay and he said that's it the grain fed is going to taste different. And it's amazing what you can get out of a butcher when you really don't know what you're doing. And, and uh, so I was like, huh, really? So then I started doing some research and uh, found a book written by a woman named Joe Robinson. And it was called Pasture Perfect. And it was one of the early books about grass-fed beef. And, well, anything raised out on grass for goats, sheep, pigs, yeah. chickens, everything. And she really disclosed of what goes into the grocery store meat and the consignment operations and the alternatives mm-hmm. of doing grass-fed and then found out about all the health benefits of grass-fed and already knew it tasted different and I found out when you ate it that you didn't have to eat that much of it and you felt kind of full. Mm-hmm. It was very satisfying, and 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 our son was two, and he just he loved it, and it got to a point where he didn't like anything at the grocery store, and he's still that way. Uh, that's what happens when you raise a kid this way; is they become quite, they're not picky, they're just very discriminating. Yeah, he doesn't want to go out to eat. Yep, and he's twenty two, almost twenty three. He knows the taste. I mean, you could give him 
grocery store meat, like a burger and one of our burgers, and he can immediately tell the difference. And we all can, but that's mm-hmm. the, the difference. And so we've just continuously done that. We raised the herd up. We had two at the time. George went in the freezer. We still had Betsy, um, the female. So we bred her. She had a calf. And then I got smart and called him big and juicy because he had an end <laughs> result. And then eventually we fell onto a deal with someone close by that was selling a small herd of Scottish Highlander beef cattle. And those are those, they have these big horns and shaggy coat. Yep, and they're big originally red from, big red animal. I think, Scotland or something. And we bought this small herd of a bull and five cows and five calves and raised them up on grass. Um, thinking it was really close to the heritage breed and found out that they're just really small and slow growing where George and Betsy, the ones that we started with were Herefords and they were like twice the size at the same age Wow! and all grass fed. And so when we bought the Highlander herd, I said, this is no longer a little hobby homestead this has to be a business and it will be run profitably or we're not doing it anymore. And so, you know, Matt would do this for free forever because he just loves it. And and I do too, but I was just like, I'm not going to keep working to feed the habit. The habit has to be the business and, and feed us and be profitable. And so we eventually have phased out of Highlanders and went to, mostly a Hereford belted Galloway cross mm-hmm. just because it does really well here. And it does really well with our production system with grass and the line, the genetic line we have going right now, we, we really like, so that's now, how we started with the grass. Fed. Okay. So do you, you, you raise your own beef. Do you uh, have your own calves and everything or do you buy new calves? Yeah, we are when, let's see. Well, we had started on 26 acres and we outgrew it about 10 years ago. And it took a few years. We actually sold our old place and bought 150 acres. And when we moved, we had started phasing out the Highlanders. Um, and when we moved here, we found friends of ours, your neighbors actually, mm-hmm. who have Herefords and Belted Galloway Crosses. And so we bought some steers from them, which are castrated males. Yep. And we would buy some females from them. And through that and a few other ones we brought in, we now have our base herd. There are, I think there's 11 mom cows and a bull. And they supply all of our calves. So all of the beef is literally born, raised, and finished on the farm now. Wow. Wow. Yeah, those are, I mean, we look out our window and see those those cattle all the time. And it's like... I, I know nothing about cows other than you can eat one. And I yep. look at those and I think to myself, man, those are beautiful animals. Absolutely gorgeous. And they're so well raised up yep. there. And they just wander around. Nobody's, I mean, they have, they grow hay and they feed them hay during the winter. But uh, they're pretty much, I, I don't think I'd want to get into the pasture with them because they're pretty much wild animals. You know, the. Well, ours are quite a bit different. We raise them a lot different than they do. Right. Um, we've taken it the next level. Mm-hmm. So, um, we don't go out and hug them and pet them, although there are a few that we can, but um, um, they're very calm. But yeah. yeah, they're beautiful animals, gorgeous animals. Okay, yeah. so that's the yeah, cows, yeah. and now let's talk about pigs. Yeah. Cause, uh, well, how many cows do you have? 
How many cows? There are currently, I think there's 30 at the moment. Okay. And that's cows with their calves and then last year's babies. Yep. And so we just have finished butchering the two-year-olds. So at one point there was almost 40 here mm-hmm. at the peak this summer. How long and from then s- some of them? Uh, how long from start that? to finish on a cow? You got to go to what? Um, like 1,100, 1,200 pounds? They're about two to two and a half years old. Okay. So they're usually, let's see, yeah, their live weight is around anywhere from like a thousand to probably fourteen hundred pounds mm-hmm. live. Okay. So your operation is not you're not you're not small time, right? You that's a that's a. It's still considered small. It's still considered small. Mm-hmm. But this is the amount of cattle that can do really well on the amount of open land that we have on the 150 mm-hmm. acres. And, and we can, make all of our own hay too. So yeah, which is, that's a lot of that. land. Yeah. So, but it it affords you to be able to make a living. It's enough. So you kind of hit a nice balance there then. Yeah. It's a nice balance and like not all the 150 acres are grazable. Only about, I think 80, I think is grazable mm-hmm. and hayable. And so, you know, we also buy in hay. Every once in a while, we'll buy in a little bit of extra hay for, like, the pigs to have some extra bedding and stuff. But for the cows, 100% is grown right here. So we have to balance all of our grazing systems with getting in hay for the winter Mm -hmm. and never running out of grass during the grazing season. So we start grazing middle to the end of April, and we go till just about Thanksgiving. And we never, ever feed hay in the summer. So during that period, they are they have to be eating grass, and the grass has to be lush and thick and tall. So they keep growing because we're raising most of the offspring, you know, for meat. So they have to be a constant growth. Yeah, cool. Now let's talk a little bit about your the pigs operation, the about pork operation, because you have yeah. Uh, so so we we um once we figured out that the beef was really good. We were like, wow, what could we do with a pork chop kind of a thing? Oh, and you do amazing and, things. <laughs> I've had yeah, your pork chops are great. like, huh, okay. So uh, we had bought some pork that a family member had raised, but he had raised it in a stall in the barn. And it just seemed really weird. Well, why raise them in a stall in the barn? You know, we took the cows out of the barn. Why can't you take the pigs out of the barn? And pigs are very, very smart. Um, Sometimes I think they're much smarter than cows. And see, they want to outsmart you and get out of fences. And so we bought a couple piglets. um, Gosh, what were their names? Porky and Petunia. I was still doing the cute names. And figured (laughs) out raising them that they're very, very smart. And so I tried to distance myself so I didn't, they didn't become pets, but I was like studying them going, wow, they're really smart. You know, they don't want to sleep in mud. They like a nice cushy bed. So if you give them a bale of hay, most pigs will take that bale of hay and break it apart and make a nice little bed to lay in. I didn't know that. Um, they like the mud to cool off in because they don't sweat glands. So that's why they, you'll see pigs in mud quite often mm-hmm. um, because they have to cool off. And so um, we just would study them and how they would um, make their mud wallow because we had a garden hose that we hooked up to a water source in a creek 
and so we could fill their water pan. Well, then the pig got a hold of the water hose and pulled it over to this depression that they had dug in the soil and made their own little pond. Figured that out themselves? Yeah, they figured that out themselves. And I was like, oh, man, wow, this is okay. This is really cool. And if you give them corn stalks with corn cobs on them, they figure out very quickly how to peel the corn cobs. Wow. And they can figure out when their electric fence is off, too. We've had them before that I'll go out to feed them, and I'll turn off their electric fence, and the one would see that, and then he would just go right through the fence. And so, um, yeah, I have to, you have to be kind of careful with that. Sometimes you get some that are really smart, and then you get some that are just like they don't really care. Mm-hmm. We're really happy in our spot. We don't want to go run to the neighbors. So right. we started raising them that way and uh, sent them in to be butchered and got the meat back, and we were like, whoa, okay, this is really, really good. And so we had been selling some of the beef to people that we knew, and so we said, hey, you want to try some pork chops and bacon? And bacon always hooks everybody. Uh, we've been using the same butcher since we started doing pigs. So it's been probably 17, 18 years with the same butcher. Um, so it's been the same recipe for their bacon and their sausage, but it's our meat. Mm-hmm. And um, we have customers that have been with us since the beginning. And so we were doing the pigs, but we had also had figured out when we started doing the beef cows, my husband had said, hey, why don't we just buy those two cows? Why don't we get some baby chicks? And then we'll have our own eggs. So that required me going to get another book out of the library and figure out how to raise chickens. And so we had been selling eggs. And you, know, you get the old chickens and then try to roast an old laying hen. Yeah, pretty much not... figure out they're very tough. Mm-hmm. But they made great stew or chicken and biscuits. So you had to slow cook it. Well, mm-hmm. then I was talking to someone at the library and they told me about this style of chicken that was for meat and they plumped up really fast and they told me where I could order some and so I started researching that and so in between all of the beef and the pork we started raising some meat chickens too and figured out when you have chickens out on grass wow the meat's even better so it was just like geez now we're like three for three oh gee let's try some turkeys and then that just started the whole thing of we had beef pork chicken and turkey on pasture but you don't do fowl anymore right nope um a couple years ago we decided that we had done enough um there was a lot of other farmers doing it so there wasn't like there was a demand um, some of them were doing it a lot cheaper, but we were trying to keep our price down but still pay ourselves a living wage. Mm-hmm. But as a farm business, we had all sorts of liability insurance that you have to have coverage for and proper equipment and and all of that added up and plus our time. And the chickens, when they're out on pasture, they do great things for the soil and increase the soil fertility. And at the farm, when we moved in here at the new place, the soil fertility was really low. But after doing pigs, uh, doing chickens and turkeys, rotating them through the pastures for all these, for I think it was five years, the soil fertility was up. So we didn't really need them for that anymore. And then I have a hand injury on my left hand. And all the chicken and turkey we process on the farm because there really is not a licensed butcher to do poultry Mm -hmm. near us. And um, 
so after my hand was hurt, like we would be processing and I do the evisceration and my hand would swell up and it would go numb and I couldn't use it for a couple of days. So we cut back how many we were doing and that still didn't help it. And then we just decided, you know, let's just take a year off. And so a couple of years ago, we took a year off and we haven't gone back. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it was funny how we've done all the financials because this place has to be profitable is that the chicken and turkeys were profitable, but in the end they weren't profitable enough. Mm-hmm. Um, plus when you have a physical problem that you can't really do it anymore. And that physical problem was sure. caused because of doing all that. And we're like, eh. and then we just decided, well, we'll just increase the beef a little bit and increase the pork a little bit and then started doing vegetables Mm-hmm. And it takes up that slack, but it freed up so much more time for us. Uh, we were really pushing ourselves. Our stress levels were really, really high, and we didn't get downtime. Yeah. And now we have downtime. So now we can, like, enjoy the farm. Mm-hmm. And uh, we actually tried doing a few chickens and turkeys just for ourselves last year. Yeah. And then this year just decided, hey, let's just buy them from Casey, who's two booths away from me at the farmer's market. All right. And so I signed up for her chicken CSA through Landry Farms, and now I just get my chicken from her, and she does it very similar to the way we do it. And I like how they do it, and I'm very, very picky, let me tell you. After doing chickens for almost 20 years, I can tell when I open a package, and I can tell if they butchered that chicken right and and all of that stuff and they're doing it right so it's like hey let's just buy it from her and um now we have extra time so we can go kayaking or we can take a hike or you can just you know sit in the hammock a little bit yep Uh that's good let's circle back to butchering for a moment because you don't butcher your pigs or cows on property but you did do the chickens on property for somebody who may be interested in getting into what you're doing, how does that work? You have to have a USDA butcher, and you don't have to have a USDA butcher for chicken? In New York State, which is probably different than a lot of other states. Hey, kids, just a quick commercial break here. Did you know we have a YouTube channel? Go to YouTube, look up Clean Slate Farm, and watch some cool videos on cooking, gardening, beekeeping, fixing the tractor, stuff like that. We also have an Amazon shop. If you shop through Amazon and go to Amazon.com slash shop slash Clean Slate Farm, you'll find our shop where we recommend some products that we use around here. It doesn't cost you anything more to buy through that. We just get a small commission for it. Thanks very much. Back to the show. The poultry can be processed on farm under a federal exemption to all these different rules and you can do up to a thousand birds on the farm processed properly um, without being inspected. And so we operated under that whole regulation. Okay. And if anybody's interested, they can look up all this. It's on the Cornell Small Farms page website. Okay. And they have a whole guide of what falls under the poultry, what the exemptions are, how many you can do, da 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 da. Okay. And then um, the beef and pork for us to sell them the way that we do at the farmer's market by the retail cut um, and has to be USDA processed. There are some allowances um, 
the animal has to be processed under or like butchered under the USDA. So there is actually a USDA inspector at the facility who inspects everything as it comes through. Um, they're taking tissue samples. They have to make sure that the animal is downed humanely. Um, they have one time to down the animal humanely mm-hmm. or they get a real serious fine. Um, and they can risk having the whole carcass um, discarded. So it's it's very governed um, for beef and pork and goats, sheep, the red meat type of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we do it that way. And then our butcher, they also do all the cut up. We could put in an on-farm processing under another license, and then we could bring like the whole carcass back home. Yep. And then we could um, break it down into retail cuts and sell it that way. That's a whole other ten, twenty thousand dollars and lots of training. Yeah. And and we don't do that. There's very few actually in the state that do that. Um, so we just take it to our USDA butcher. They're about an hour, fifty minutes away from the farm. And we've been with them for, oh gosh, what did I say? It was like close to 20 years now. It's yeah. 17, 18 years. Yeah. They're up north. And yep. Yeah. They're in Tayburg, mm-hmm. so north of Sylvan Beach. And it's a small facility, pretty much family owned. I mean, I know the owners, known them forever. And I just bring our animals in, and they can only do, I think, something like 20 beef a week and something like 20 or 30 pigs a week. So that's small. Um, and you know that you like it that way. Yeah. You know that your animal is what you're, the one you're giving them is the one you're getting back also. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And after you do this for a while, I can tell the difference between my animal and someone else who dropped their animal off and they raised it in a barn. Mm-hmm. You can actually tell the difference. And they've brought me into their walk-in cooler and shown me the carcasses hanging and you can just tell the difference. Um, between an animal that's been raised outdoors on grass that's been exercising mm-hmm. and one that's been locked in a stall in a barn Just or in there. a shed or whatever and not exercising. And and you can really, and they like rub their hands going, oh yeah, Trish brought in another 10 pigs, you know, and mm-hmm. they, uh, they like it. Yeah. They can, yeah. they can really tell from, you know, the meat up that how the animal was raised and what they were fed. Neat. So with the with the cows, you get them back. They they do the butcher. You get it back to retail cuts. Mm-hmm. With the pigs, you can then yep. say, "I want so much sausage, so much bacon, blah blah blah." Right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, the bacon only really comes from the belly. Right. And then we also can have some bacon. We all have some Canadian bacon done from the loin, and then some shoulder bacon from the shoulder. Okay. Um, just so we have more bacon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Tell, but no, the loin is usually pork chops and stuff. But we try a little variety, and then they do a whole different, all sorts of different sausages. We can have them do and and all that. Oh man, I've got to try your sausage. If the bacon's that good, the sausage must be amazing. Yeah, because they do they do a sweet Italian, a hot Italian. They do a, a Mexican style per, chorizo oh, breakfast sausage. They do smoked kielbasa, bratwurst. Okay, I'll bring the checkbook on yeah. Saturday. <laughs> uh, let's. let's I, I wanted to ask you something on it. The train left the station. I'm sorry. I forgot what I was going to ask you. So, so oh, the bacon. Uh, explain the difference between you mentioned Canadian bacon and what the Brits call streaky bacon, which is what we know is real bacon for us. And then there's what was the other bacon you mentioned? 
shoulder bacon. Shoulder bacon. Explain the difference between those. So uh, regular bacon comes from the pig's belly. Um, it's usually like this big slab, and it's cured and smoked, and then they slice it. Mm-hmm. So that's how you would see the bacon. And then um, other people would know it. I mean, it's really not used for anything else. It's bacon or it's fresh belly. Right. So I know some restaurants still do. They cook the pork belly all sorts of different ways. And um, we just usually do it as bacon. Every once in a while we'll get a, we'll get a special order mm-hmm. for someone who wants just the fresh belly, and we'll do that. But that's really pretty much a, a special order for us. And then um, – we kept on running out of bacon, and so I was talking to the butcher about about it, and she said, well, you know, we could do some Canadian bacon. And I was like, really? And she's like, yeah, instead of on the loin, which is where the pork chops come from, instead of cutting pork chops, they're just going to debone it and cure it and smoke it the same way they do the bacon. And you slice it up, and so that would be like a lot of people use it on like Eggs Benedict Okay. It's very meaty, mm-hmm. so it's mostly meat with a little bit of fat on the outside, like a, it's like a pork chop. Like a pork chop, yep. Okay. But but once it goes through the smoking process, it's really shrunk down a lot. So that's where that comes from, okay. and it's, it's it's like the they use a maple wood smoke, so it's very mapley, but it's got more meat, similar to like ham in a way. Yeah. But nice and thin slice. Okay. And then um, we were running out of that, and they said, hey, you want to try some shoulder bacon? So the shoulder on the pig, um, there's two parts to the shoulder. One is called the shoulder, and then there's other part of it is like the Boston butt. Mm-hmm. And the shoulder has a lot of marbling through it. And so they'll cut that out separate and cure it and smoke it and then thin slice it. And so you get a – a good sized piece that's probably three or four inches long and a couple inches wide. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's very meaty also, but with some marbling through it. So there's a lot more meat than versus like regular bacon. Yeah. And thin sliced. It goes, I think it goes really good on a turkey sandwich. You know, get a little bit extra on top and they right. cook I really know. quickly. The first time I put bacon on a turkey sandwich, somebody looked at me and said, that's just not natural. <laughs> and I thought, oh, but you have to taste it. And it's amazing. So the shoulder bacon, some people will call it cottage bacon. It's a little bit different, I'm told. But it's it, if you're looking for like cottage bacon, shoulder bacon that we do is very similar to it. Yeah, I've heard of cottage bacon. I haven't heard it as it referred to as shoulder bacon. So. Neat. So now how do people, we talked about this a little bit, but uh, your people, people who buy from you do the CSA or the farmer's markets and they can, they can, they can come to you and say, geez, I want some pork belly or um, I want like a half a pig or half a cow. They can do that. Yep. They can do that. We're sold out for the year Mm -hmm. for both of them Mm -hmm. for the bulk orders, but we have everything by the cut um, and we will through the winter. So like our farmer's market goes to the end of October and then we move indoors once a month. And then I'll probably start doing a delivery system. And I've done it before. I have an online store and I'll list everything that's for sale with pictures and prices. Um, People can just go on there and pick what they want, pay with their credit card, and I deliver it. You know, local to us. Yeah. Yeah, you're not going to drive to Albany, yeah. Uh, so no. when somebody says, I want a half a pig, they don't get a half a pig. It's all broken down into the into the cuts, retail cuts. 
Yeah, it's yeah. it's custom cut to how they want it. Yeah. And then we have a we have one there. I've they can do it custom cut for people who really know what they want. And if they don't really sure what they want, I have one that's an easy option where I've already broken it down to say, hey, you're going to get two hams. You're going to get some ham steaks. You're going to get this many shoulder roasts. You're going to get the chops are going to be cut this way. This, and then, um, you know, you're going to get spare ribs. You're going to get this much bacon. And it's approximate mm-hmm. for half a pig. And it is that half a pay, but I've made all like the major cut decisions so they don't have to like fuss around and, and then they can just pick what type of sausage they'd like. And so it's, it's a pretty standard cut. It's pretty much how we have cuts done when we're selling at retail. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot of the guesswork out. They're not really familiar. Yeah. And then once they've had that the next year, they can figure out if they liked it that way or if they've learned other ways that they want some different things cut. Yeah, like some people f- don't like a lot of ham. So, and there's a lot of ham on a pig. There can be like 16 to 20 pounds of ham on a pig and they can decide, Hey, we don't really like ham. And so what would usually be smoked and cured for ham? We could say, Hey, they don't want that. Let's debone it all and grind it for more sausage. Mm-hmm. And they can do stuff like that too. What I have to circle back around because you're very knowledgeable front to back on not only farming but obviously you have some business savvy there so what is your mm-hmm. background you did you go to school for business or did you just like start working on a farm and figure it out you got some you got some <laughs> I pointers wish I had gone to, man i wish i had gone to school for business um well you're doing okay when <laughs> I was in, yeah my my background's very very different i had no idea I, I grew up surrounded by dairy farms and really did I knew nothing about them. Went to some petting zoos or see the cows crossing the road down the road. That's that was my experience. And you know, manure stinks. And uh, when I graduated from high school, I was actually a volunteer firefighter because we live right next door to the firehouse. And my mom was a volunteer firefighter and a paramedic. And I had gotten my emergency medical technician training. So I was a volunteer firefighter, volunteer rescue, volunteer EMT and an ambulance when I graduated high school at 18 and didn't really see myself doing that as a living. I really wanted to get out and see some things. Mm -hmm. So and decided that college really wasn't for me because I would go to college and what was I going to study? I really didn't know. So it's going to be a waste of money and I'm kind of practical. So I joined the United States Air Force at 18 and became an, a mechanic. So I worked on ground equipment um, that was hooked up to the aircraft when it was on the ground. Okay. So things like a tow bar that they moved the aircraft with or a generator that they would run the operating systems on the aircraft while they could, so they could test things while it was on the ground. Okay. Hydraulic units, air conditioners. I did all that. And I did two tours in Turkey and then, um, and I liked it and, but decided, Hey, okay, I've done enough. It's time to go home. Mm-hmm. And then, um, came home and then nine 11 happened. Well, no, that was before that was later on came home and had some time off, tried going back to college, didn't really figure anything out and decided I'd join the, the New York Air National Guard. So then I was still going in one weekend a month and doing that and trying to take some classes and figure out stuff and part-time jobs and uh, met my husband, got married. 
moved into the barn house. A couple of years later, had our son, and then um, started doing the animals. And I had had, as Cameron was growing up, I was pretty much a stay-at-home mom, but I also cleaned houses. I was an editorial assistant. I did a lot of work from home, data processing and stuff. But mm-hmm. once the farm took off, I had a chance to just quit all of that and yeah. concentrate on the farm. Yep. And and had grown up doing all of that. Mm-hmm. And so once we um, were outgrowing the old farm and the business was taking off, we, we were in a situation where we couldn't produce enough on a little bit of land that we have, even though 26 acres is quite a bit. Mm-hmm. So we looked at buying a new farm. And during that time, I was actually offered um, a chance to take this new program through Holistic Management International. And it was called Whole Farm Planning for Beginning Women Farmers. And it was through that, that was like nine months of training. And it was a grant program through the USDA funded all of this, but it trained about 25 women each year in five different states in the Northeast. And it gave us everything from goal setting to business planning, to marketing, to growing, to problem solving. We got this whole huge package of education packed into nine months. So that really helped like me as to figure out is this business profitable? We broke everything down by enterprise and really looked at what was profitable and what wasn't. Mm -hmm. And so when we sold the old farm, we used to sell eggs. Yep. We ditched that whole enterprise because in the end it never made money. Mm -hmm. And it, even to this day, it's very hard for people to make money selling eggs from chickens raised out on pasture. When we quit, 10 years ago, raising chickens for eggs, we were selling them at $5 a dozen and it was not profitable. Yeah. People are selling it now for less than $5 a dozen. Yep. It might be profitable, but there's other stuff that once you're putting in animals outside, there's all sorts of problems that can go on. So we looked at all of that with our training and all of that training helped me get the business situated. So it showed a profit and that enabled us to buy a 150-acre farm. Um, so I talk a lot um, about business stuff and being profitable because you're not going to have a farm business unless it makes money. Or you're going to be working your butt off off the farm. Yeah. Well, that's... Pay for your little hobby on the side. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's obvious because I watch you at the market and you're, I mean, you come in, you set up, you know exactly what's going, what's happening. You've got everything priced and talking with you today, I can see that you've got, and that's why I thought you had some background in financial uh, and planning because you're doing it right because so many people start out in any kind of business and they just, like in the restaurant business that I work in, people are like, oh, I know how to cook. I'm going to start a restaurant. Cooking is just so little of what you do in running a restaurant. And the same with farming, just because you know how to raise a cow yep. doesn't mean you're going to be a profitable farm. So that's, that's right. great. And so after I finished that training, I was actually asked to be a mentor. So I had a mentor through my whole training Yep. Um, who had a very profitable farm business. And they're retired now. And they did really, really well for them. They're the original owners of Northland Sheep Dairy down in Cortland County, if you've heard of them. But um, then I started mentoring 
women. So I took all of my training and then helped them go through the next year's class. So I did that for four more years. So I helped mentor another, gosh, it was something like, I think, 60, 50, 60 women that I had a hand in mentoring through all of this. And so everything I had to learn, then I had to preach it and prove it. Mm -hmm. And so I've done a lot of um, interviews and we've had on-farm classes. And then um, to the veteran part, because I was in the Air Force, um, they finally started doing more programs targeted towards veterans and veterans who are coming out and going into farming or thinking of going into farming. And so they've Cornell small farms program now has a division that works for veterans to help educate veterans who are coming out or have been out who are thinking of becoming a farmer or have already started one. And so we've had groups out here to show them, you know, what we do, how we started and things like that. So I'm going to ask you if you could send me a list of resources uh, for people who may want to start a farm uh, so that that might be helpful for them so they can be profitable and know what they're doing. Because life's a challenge. You don't need to be running around trying to figure it out if there's resources to help you out on that. So, Well, Tricia, this has been a very interesting interview. You know, I started this interview thinking, uh, like I told you at the market last week, it's like, okay, we got to keep this cool. (laughs) We can't get out of control. <laughs> and and we did it. We really did it. And you've been very informative and very helpful on this. This is, uh, I, I've come away with a new appreciation for Trisha Park. She's a pretty oh, cool lady. thank you. Because you're always smiling. You always got a good attitude. You're always making fun with people. And As long as I have my cup of coffee, I'm doing pretty good. Fojo. <laughs> Run down to yeah. Dan and get some beans. Got to go down to Dan and get my Fojo coffee. Yep. Well, that's great. So if you could email me a list of those things, I'm going to put them in the show notes for people to uh, sure. to be able to take a look at and follow up on that. But uh, I appreciate your time today. And uh, we've run at, I'm going to look at the time, we're at 46 minutes. So this might or might not get broken <laughs> into two parts. But uh, I, I, like I said, it, it was a great interview. Thank you very much for that. So, hey, folks, that's it with Trisha Park. Thanks, Trisha. Yep, you're welcome. Hey, thanks again for downloading and listening to the podcast. I really appreciate that. Stay tuned for an interview. Actually, i got to step back for a second. If you go to iTunes and please leave a rating, just click five stars. That would be great. And just leave a comment. That would be terrific as well. We'd really appreciate it. It helps people find us. Also, stay tuned because we have an interview coming up with a fellow that makes chocolate. Pretty sure this guy makes chocolate from scratch. I've had his chocolate. It's amazing. If you're a chocoholic, you want to hear this interview. So thanks again. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.